In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. I doubt very many of us rolled out of bed this morning and had on our lips the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And yet, I think in some ways, that is a question all of us might be asking. Uh, Maybe not out loud, but in some ways we're asking it by being in this place at this time. We might ask it especially after weeks like this one, filled with more violence, with more outrage and frustration, and with not very much hope. We might not use the same words as the lawyer in today's gospel. We might not call it eternal life so bluntly and overtly. Though probably each of us in some way comes to this morning with our own search, our own hope, our own desire that yearns with the eternal. We are looking for something, some kind of resolution, some kind of ending some kind of answer, just like that young lawyer in the gospel. What must I do, he asks. What must we do, we ask. Jesus does that uh, maddening thing he does by not answering the question directly. Instead, he asks another question. He says to the lawyer, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man piously quotes back to Jesus all that he's been taught. Shema Israel, Adonai Eroheinu, Adonai Echad. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul and your neighbor as yourself. A good Shabbat school answer. And so Jesus says, you're right. Full marks. You've given the right answer. And I imagine Jesus turns to leave. But then just as he's leaving, the lawyer stops him. And who is my neighbor, he asks. St. Luke gives us a little bit of insight into this question of the lawyer. He prefaces that question by saying that the young lawyer, wanting to justify himself, asks that question. Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible puts it more bluntly. He writes, looking for a loophole, the lawyer asks, and just how would you define neighbor? Well, Jesus now looks at the young man and understands what he's dealing with. This man asks about his neighbor not out of any real compassion or concern for the neighbor. It's to justify himself that he asks the question. The lawyer wants to look good. He wants to keep making the high grade. He wants to make sure he's doing all that he needs to do to get it right, to please God, to have everyone love him. The young lawyer wants clean hands. And because of this, in this context, Jesus tells the story that's so familiar to us, this story of the Good Samaritan. Most of us probably know the story inside and out. A man going to Jerusalem is robbed and beaten. And then first a priest walks by. 
And I have a little bit of compassion for the priest, and so I imagine the priest probably has three hospital visits to make, and so he has good reasons for passing by. Whatever those reasons may be, it doesn't help the man get out of the ditch, does it? Next, a Levite passes by. Now, the Levites had all kinds of responsibilities with the temple. They were important people. They were busy people. The Levite surely had good reasons for getting to where he was going. But again, the man in the road is still hungry and hurt. Finally, the Samaritan, as we all know, the Samaritan moved with pity, stops. He cleans and bandages the man's wounds. He puts him on his own animal and takes him to an inn. He then gives the innkeeper some money to take care of the poor guy for a few days. After telling the story, Jesus looks in the eyes of the lawyer and says, What do you think? Who was a neighbor to the one who needed help? And the lawyer replies correctly, The one who showed mercy. To which Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Go and show mercy, Jesus says, which is to say, go and help others who have fallen into ditches. Go and do your work and live your life, but do it all with some understanding, with with some notion, with some perception of what it's like to be in the ditch. We don't know how the lawyer's life turns out. We don't know what he does next, whether he's able to show mercy or gain the wisdom of the ditch. But I bet it was hard for him. I imagine the lawyer being religious and educated and civically minded. It may well be that that young lawyer had never been stuck in a ditch and never would be. Perhaps he had all his life been protected by family and education and connections and race and all kinds of privilege to the extent that there was virtually no chance of his ever falling into a ditch. In very little likelihood, he might meet anyone who had. The Samaritan knows all about ditches. It was easier for the Samaritan to offer help because the Samaritan had been in plenty of ditches himself. The Samaritan, after all, was viewed as an outsider, a foreigner, a suspect to the majority, someone with odd religious beliefs. In fact, to this day, there is a small number of Samaritans living in Israel. They're a minority today, and they're thought of as sort of second-class Jews, though they're drafted, just like everyone else, into the Israel Defense Forces. In order to be considered halakhic Jews, real Jews, they have to undergo a formal conversion to Judaism. Then, as now, the Samaritan knows what it's like to be in a ditch, But he remembers being helped, and he remembers someone having been like a neighbor. Especially on this Sunday after this week of two high-profile killings of black men by police, of, of an ambush of police by a black man, we can ask ourselves, who is our neighbor? What sort of neighbor am I? What are we called to do and be as people of faith? 
Many of you may recall that last week I quoted from that famous John Winthrop sermon of 1630, that sermon that the governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony preached on the ship as he brought people over. It was his and and the group's strong, sure sense that God was bringing them to the colonies in order to form a city upon a hill. And that image of a city upon a hill has been enduring and strong ever since. It has been a beautiful image. But if we're honest, we'll have to admit that while some have lived on hills, others have been given ditches to live in. Early on, Native Americans were pushed off their hills And those who didn't die from disease were driven into reservations. Those same reservations in our country and Canada were the perfect blueprint for the creators of apartheid in South Africa. Of course, for African slaves brought to this country, slavery was the first big, deep ditch. But since then, laws of segregation, lending policies for home loans, barriers in education and employment and social mobility and inherited wealth have all been additional ditches. Add to that a social construct of race that's passed on through families and laws and selective remembrance. It's all built deeper ditches. Other people who have come to this country looking to live on the hill have encountered ditches, whether they were from Japan or Ireland or Italy or parts of Africa or Latin America or on and on and on. They've had ditches put in front of them and ditches dug around them. As people of faith, we cannot settle for a ditch. (laughs) We cannot pass by and pretend not to notice. Christ calls us, each one of us, to see ourselves as being in the ditch. The gospel invites us from several different perspectives, I think. There are surely some of us who perhaps are a little bit like the the young lawyer in the gospel. I imagine him as being protected by his privilege and a long, long way from most ditches. Some of us might be a lot like the Good Samaritan. We've got memories and experiences of ditches we were in, and perhaps some of them are fresh and a little raw. And then perhaps some here today may feel like the ones still stuck in a ditch, regardless of where we may locate ourselves. The point of the Good Samaritan story, I think, is for us each to see ourselves there. Only after that can we begin to recognize who is our neighbor. Only then can we begin to act like neighbors to one another. When I begin to identify with the lawyer, in the light of Christ, I can begin to see myself in the ditch that involves a kind of poverty. It, it necessarily involves a willingness to notice and name and recognize the many, many privileges that I enjoy and many times take for granted. None of them are of my making. And so to begin to move toward understanding what it's like for someone stuck in the ditch or pushed into one... I can read, I can think, I can listen, I can stop trying to justify, I can pray for God to make me a channel of help 
of mercy of Christ's healing. I can remember well when I drove a Volkswagen VW that had uh, brake lights that weren't working and a tail light that was busted. I drove that all over the East Coast. Not once was I stopped. Not a preppy young white guy. It won't happen. This fall, our church will be reading together the book by Michelle Alexander, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness. It's not an easy book to read because of its truth-telling, but we will labor through together. There are a few copies in the back of the church. If you want to start this summer, you can check out one. Books like that can help people like me and perhaps some of you see with new eyes We can read the works of Cornel West and Ta-Nehisi Coates and others who are difficult for us to hear, perhaps. But we can learn and pray and grow. We can stop talking for a minute or two. We can stop trying to justify ourselves and our lifestyles. And we can do the really radical work of keeping quiet and listening Many in this parish are a lot like the Good Samaritan. You've known your ditches, and you do your best to help others who may be in the ditch. And so to you, I think this gospel says, keep on being faithful. Yes, it hurts. Yes, we're all tired. Yes, it seems like the ditches get deeper and go on forever. But don't forget your past. Be strengthened by it. Be empowered by it. And use it to show mercy to another. God told Moses to tell Israel, what you need is close at hand. The word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart for you to observe. It will give you strength. It will give you life. Many of us know some who have spent time in the ditch But then they've forgotten, or they pretend to have forgotten. We don't have to look far. We can think of political leaders and religious leaders and Supreme Court justices and friends and perhaps even family. People who we remember being in a ditch of one kind or another, but they seem to have forgotten. (laughs) They act like getting out of the ditch was something they did by their own sheer willpower. And so they've developed a kind of defensive amnesia about their time and place of need. Well, the gospel reminds us, never forget. It's like Elie Wiesel spent his whole life saying, Zakor, remember. Remember. He meant remember the Holocaust, never let it happen again. But he said remember again and again to very wealthy, privileged Jews in his family, in his neighborhood. Remember the ditches and where possible, don't let it happen again. And finally, there may be a few here today who either yourselves or your friends or your family You feel like you're the one in the story who's been beaten up and robbed and thrown in the ditch and forgotten. You're tired of worrying about yourself. You're tired of worrying about your children or your grandchildren. You're tired of wondering when you're going to get the job you deserve, when you're going to get noticed. The gospel today offers the presence of Christ with you, in you, and also in others. Don't give up, the gospel says. Yell a little louder. 
Be open to God's spirit of healing in some new way and keep your faith. Keep your faith. In Friday's New York Times, Charles Blow wrote an opinion piece that I've read several times over. Other commentators have written angrier, harder truths, in some ways stronger pieces. But Blow's piece is offered from the standpoint of a father whose daughter comes to him and says, Daddy, I'm scared. He says to her, I'm scared too. But he writes about the issues and the difficulties. He's blunt and he's open and he's honest. But then he says this. He writes, I know well that when people speak of love and empathy and honor in the face of violence, it can feel like meeting hard power with soft, like there is inherent weakness in an approach that leans so heavily on things so ephemeral and even cliched. But that is simply an illusion fostered by those of little faith. Anger and vengeance and violence are exceedingly easy to access and almost effortlessly unleashed. The higher calling, the higher calling, the harder trial is the belief in the ultimate moral justice and the inevitable victory of righteousness over wrong. Charles Blow writes from a unique perspective, I think. He writes as one who keeps one foot on higher ground, but also keeps another foot firmly in the ditch, so that he's in a place to extend a hand of help to others, to help them get up and get out. His is a secular voice, but it nonetheless echoes a Christly calling For us to be neighbors to one another, remembering when others have been neighbors to us. Remember that Jesus was taken from the heights of Calvary down to the very depths of a tomb, but death could not keep him. No death can keep us. Remember. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.